The Guardian. Welcome to Science Weekly, where we're delving into the science surrounding the coronavirus outbreak, exploring some of the most pressing and intriguing questions, including those sent in by you, our listeners. We'd like to thank you again for all the questions and comments sent in so far. We'd love to keep hearing from you, so do contact us via the form we've set up. Head over to theguardian.com forward slash COVID-19 questions, that's all one word. In today's episode, we're looking at a question that a few of you have asked about, and one that has been particularly relevant to some high-profile members of the UK's government in the past few weeks. First of all, in my own case, uh, although I'm feeling better and I've done my, my seven days of isolation, alas, I, I, have a, I still have a temperature. And so The UK government guidance sets out that those with possible symptoms of COVID-19 should isolate for seven days from the onset of their symptoms. This has been somewhat at odds with the World Health Organization, who advised 14 days. One of our listeners wondered if these were just arbitrary rules or whether they were based on scientific evidence. So we wanted to find out just how long do we stay infectious for? After seven days from symptom onset, you can still find fragments of the virus in people's nose and throat, but you can never grow virus from those samples. I'm Nicola Davis, and this is Science Weekly. Can we do the name and affiliation thing first? Sure. I'm Dr. Charlotte Holdcroft, and I'm a virologist at the University of Cambridge's Department of Medicine. So, Charlotte, whenever infectiousness is discussed, people tend to talk about viral shedding. So, I guess the first question is just, can you explain what we mean by viral shedding and how that ties into being infectious? We can measure viral shedding in a few ways, and we're trying to get at how many copies of the virus each person is producing in a particular bodily fluid so for some viruses that might be in their blood but in the case of the new coronavirus COVID-19 we're interested in how many copies of the virus people are producing in their nose and throat in their sputum. So can you test for whether someone is shedding virus you know when we do these things like these PCR test, which is often called the have you got it test. Is that looking for virus that you're shedding or is that looking for something else? Most of the testing that we're doing for COVID-19 at the moment is looking for a tiny fragment of the genetic code of the virus. And finding the genetic material in a person's nose or throat is not quite the same as saying that they're infectious. To say that someone was infectious, we would want to take a swab from the back of their throat and look for both the genetic material and look to see if they're producing virus that is infectious, what you might call live virus. But we tend to just use whether someone has the genetic material of the virus in their nose and throat as a shortcut to whether that virus is present or not. But there's increasing evidence that for the novel coronavirus, people keep having a small amount of the genetic material of the virus present in their nose and throat, but they're no longer infectious. And this is causing, I think, a bit of confusion for some people because it's, I can see how that seems like a bit of a subtle difference. I see. Yes, that ties in with a question from one of our listeners, Chris, who was looking at a recent study that showed on average 
viral shedding could be detected for a median of, I don't know, about 20 days after the onset of symptoms, even 37 days after. And he was wondering about how that ties in with the 14-day isolation period that the WHO, the World Health Organization, currently recommends. That's a really interesting question and one that several groups are trying to tackle. And we've, we've begun to have the first few few studies to help us answer that. And one really interesting study just came out in Germany where they directly compared both these these PCR results looking for fragments of the virus and looking for infectious virus. And what they found is that after seven days from symptom onset, you can still find fragments of the virus in people's nose and throat, but you can never grow virus from those samples. And what that suggests is that after seven days, people are not infectious to those around them anymore, but they might still test positive. Actually, they see a nice relationship in that study where people with lots of the virus in their nose and throat, so um, over 100,000 or a million copies per mil, they tend to still be infectious. And that's what you see at the very beginning of disease. But over time, that what we would call the virus load or the amount of virus in the nose and throat falls off. And below a particular threshold of around 100,000 copies of the virus, it just doesn't seem to grow out in a lab dish anymore, suggesting that actually towards the end of disease, a lot of the virus that's being made isn't capable of infecting a new host. And that's very different to the original SARS virus from 2002, where actually people became more infectious as time goes on. And that's, that doesn't seem to be the case at all with COVID-19. It's interesting there you mentioned about the early stages. So there's been a lot of talk about people being infectious before they start to show symptoms. How does that tie in with viral shedding? Are you shedding more virus then? And is that virus which then, you know, is is going to go on and infect somebody? Exactly. That's exactly what's happening, that at the pre-symptomatic period of up to 48 hours before a person begins to feel ill is actually when their virus load is is quite high, when they're shedding lots of virus in their nose and throat. And that's when they're most likely to be able to infect other people. Seems a little bit bizarre in some ways, because one thinks that, you know, coughing and sneezing is how a virus tries to get itself spread to other people. So how are you spreading the virus to other people before you start developing those symptoms? There's a range of different routes by which the virus could spread. We know that a lot of transmission takes place in households and you can imagine if you're living with your partner, you will be kissing them. You might be sharing a cup or a glass with your children. You have these kinds of intimate contact that can share saliva with the people around you. There's also been an interesting outbreak analysis in the US of a choir where one member of the choir was pre-symptomatic And after a choir practice, a large number of other people in the choir fell sick. And there is a hypothesis that the forceful exhalations required for singing in a choir might have helped to spread the virus, not as well as coughing does, but perhaps in a similar way. If someone is living, you know, having to undergo this lockdown with a partner with underlying health conditions or who is at risk for other reasons, should they sort of isolate themselves in a separate part of the house for more than seven days to be on the safe side? Or 
do you think that that seven days is enough? Do do we have enough evidence to, to say seven days really is good enough in that kind of scenario? There's a lot of variation around the world in the advice that's given to people who've um, who've had COVID-19 in isolating themselves from others and returning to work. And some people say 14 days, some people just say two days after you've finished having symptoms. I think you might err on the side of caution. And if you were worried about your loved ones, you might wait a little bit until you you stopped feeling ill yourself to go back to having contact with them. And if you were to say, give it 48 hours, if you stopped having symptoms, that's also enough time for any virus on any on any fabric, on any surfaces around you to have naturally become inactive by itself as well. So the environment also becomes safe. So how does this tie in with the UK's policy of a seven day isolation period? Does that stand up then in terms of what you've been saying here? I think on the basis of the data that we have at the moment, that it does seem logical and it matches um, some epidemiological data that people are most likely to transmit to others at the beginning of disease and immediately before they show symptoms. But obviously, I think if new data was found to prove that people were infectious for a longer period, then I might expect the UK guidance to change in line with that. Let's say you're on the other end of somebody coughing or something like that. One of our listeners asked us how much virus would you need to have kind of fall on you, as it were, to get into your throat and for it to become a threat. I don't think we know the answer to that question at the moment. There have been studies in the 1980s where they deliberately gave people seasonal coronaviruses, which cause common cold symptoms. And they actually had to give them quite high doses of the virus to produce disease, even in people who hadn't been infected with that particular strain before. But we know that for some other viruses like norovirus, which is not particularly closely related to this virus and causes tummy bugs, as few as 15 viral particles are enough to cause symptoms. And so we don't really know where on that spectrum the new coronavirus falls. And I think unless you could pay people to be deliberately infected with COVID-19, which seems quite unethical at the moment, it would be hard to actually definitively prove that a thousand or 10,000 or a million particles is what is required to cause an infection. So Charlotte, I know there's a lot of questions around immunity and a COVID-19 infection, but if you were to pick up the virus again, could you become infectious to others again? We don't know the answer to that question at the moment because there aren't any clearly proven cases of reinfection to study. We have to go back to these human challenge experiments um, that were done in the lab in the UK in the 1980s and 1990s, where it was possible to reinfect people a year later with seasonal coronaviruses. And people did become reinfected, but they didn't tend to show any symptoms. And it's not clear that they would have been able to infect anyone else so again that's a question where the answer is sort of we don't know but we can guess perfect i think that's lovely 
Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us here on Science Weekly. Thanks for having me. It's been a delight. Thanks again to Charlotte. We want to keep hearing your questions on the science behind the outbreak. You can get in touch by filling in the form found at theguardian.com forward slash COVID-19 questions. That's all one word. You can also help us to provide the quality information needed in times like these by supporting The Guardian. Just go to www.theguardian.com forward slash support podcasts. If you want to read, watch or listen to more coverage about the COVID-19 outbreak, make sure you head over to theguardian.com and especially be sure to listen to our sister podcast, Today in Focus. Thanks for listening. Stay inside as much as you can and see you back here soon. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.